Hi, and welcome to Movements and Sounds, a podcast focusing on contemporary Indigenous musics and sounds in Australia and issues related to this topic. At SOAS Radio, we are excited to bring stories from the other side of the world to our studio in London. Thanks so much for listening to Movements and Sounds. I'm Charlotte, the facilitator of this podcast. It is important to know that I am a non-Indigenous person. However, I support decolonization and giving land back to Indigenous peoples. Hi, Sienna. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Sienna Walker is a UN and Gumbangi woman living in Sydney. She is a singer and studies music at the Sydney Consortium of Music. So welcome, Sienna, and I'll give the floor to you. Thank you. So um, as Charlotte said, I'm a proud Yuan and Gumbangi young woman. And today I would like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land in which we both work, study and live. I also would like to acknowledge the past, present and future traditional custodians and elders of this nation and their continuing connection to cultural, spiritual and educational practices to land, sea and community. Okay, so Sienna, how would you describe your musical style? I'm very heavily in, like influenced by R&B artists like Gene Aiko, Queen Niger, Daniel Caesar, Frank Ocean. I kind of double everywhere, but that's kind of with contemporary artists anyways. But yeah, mostly I like to produce R&B, like soul. But yeah, I like all kinds of music. I can listen to every kind of music. And how did your musical journey start? From a very young age, like I was like a really like flamboyant kid. Like you see videos of me when I was younger. I was so annoying. Um, <laughs> but like I always used to just put on like weird performances from my family at home. Like it would just be like me and my cousins and we would just do random concerts at like Christmas or like Easter or any like random event or like holiday. But yeah, I started doing singing lessons when I was maybe 11, 10 or 11. But yeah, I've been doing music. I've been singing ever since, like for as long as I can remember. I did vocal lessons for most of my early teenagers, I guess. But yeah, I always knew music was something that I wanted to do because it was one of my like, strong points. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And did you get, uh, how did you pick up the guitar? My dad kind of played it. <laughs> and so I think I got my first guitar when I was 12 or 13. And the first song I could play was Budapest. Like, you know, yeah, that one. And my family to this day, like, I think it's traumatized them a bit because it's the only song I could play. Like, this was before I discovered, like, ultimate guitar on, like, the internet and, like, guitar tabs and stuff. But, yeah, so my dad played and I kind of just picked it up from him. Like, I'm a visual learner. Someone needs to tell me or, like, show it to me. Like, I can't just read it on a paper and, like, mm -hmm. do it. What does music making mean to you? I think it means like everything to me because like obviously it's what I do. It's what I'm studying at the moment. I guess it's just like a form of expression for me and find joy, a lot of joy in it. And it's just fun. Like it's so fun. Especially at uni, I'm meeting new people from different backgrounds of music and stuff. And it's really cool collaborating with them because like I probably would have never thought that I actually would have made it to uni. Can you elaborate on that? Like, why didn't you think you could make it into uni? Just because, like, the statistics in Indigenous youth in education, like, compared to, like, non-Indigenous or Caucasian people, it's significantly lower. Like, I don't know the statistics. I know last year's statistics, but it's probably way different because I see so much more at uni now, mm -hmm. which is, like, great. 
but it's just really cool going into like our tutorials and like watching people produce like I I think that's like the coolest thing ever and especially because my tutors like they're, they're freaks at just music production everything like they do stuff so fast and like I think I, I really look up to them because I, I want to get to that point one day like it's so cool just seeing everyone there like the same things as me because I went to a sports high school mm-hmm. and like although I did play some sport I was kind of like the token music person like if the <laughs> If like at assemblies, it was like, oh, does anyone want to like do an item? It's like, Siano. I was, you know, like there, there was others, but even like all my friends, most of them, like we all, we were all so different. And I guess that's the beauty of going to uni. You go to uni and you collaborate and you meet with so many people that are similar to you. So it's kind of like, it was kind of a shock to me because I'm like, wow, these people are just like me. Like, that's the positive thing about it. But also coming from a school that had such a high population in, like, Aboriginal kids. Like, I went to school with my family. Like, I had cousins in, like, every year. Like, it was, you know, it was very a close-knit community. It was a small school. And, like, literally the Aboriginal community was, like, like a kilometre down the road. Yeah. But, yeah, even, like, it was kind of like a culture shock going from that to uni because, like, obviously there is, like, a university like indigenous scheme kind of unit they're called the Gadigal Center and they're really good like my old my old vice principal is there so like she's like you know following her um (laughs) but yeah they're really good at the Gadigal Center but even in my cohort at the conservatorium like there's not I feel in a way if I put in the context of going from this school with heap like with my family and heaps of like Aboriginal kids like I kind of felt like not right in a way like at the start like obviously like I'm meeting new people I'm making positive connections and stuff but at the very start like I felt so out of place so because like these people couldn't relate to me or like they couldn't like obviously we had we could bond over music and like our love for music all that stuff but even just like being a black woman in at uni is quite hard because I guess people don't I'm trying to I don't know how to explain it like they can't like I feel like at the start I couldn't connect fully Mm -hmm. because I had been at this school for six years of my life and it was just like black followers everywhere Mm -hmm. but now I come here and it's like it's different but like now like I'm okay but at the start it was just like it was really hard to try to find my place just because you know and I can't always be at the Gadigal Center like you know what I mean like um but yeah it's been good like connecting and like collaborating with others as well how have you been navigating your start I guess it's just like persevering I guess like just having to deal with it like because unfortunately that is the reality the mainstream world isn't inclusive well it is to some extent but even at the start (laughs) the start of every lecture there was like an acknowledgement to country but it was constant and it was like kind of like white savior energy if you know what I mean not that it's a bad thing like I love allyship I love you know advocates for you know justice civil rights all that kind of stuff but it just got really exhausting having to hear all the acknowledgements like one acknowledgement that's fine for me I mean it depends it varies between each you know individual but like I don't know how to explain it. It was just like tokenistic, it, perhaps. 
yeah it was tokenistic what would be a good solution against that it's it's kind of hard to because this is my individual opinion like I don't speak for any other black followers but I guess just doing it once at the start I'm talking about like this was yeah, the start of the lecture, just do it once. But it was just getting tiring because every lecturer, say we had a lecture, we had three different speakers on the lecture. Each one of them would do an acknowledgement. And I know they're, they're being respectful. They're, they are being respectful. But at the same time, like, <laughs> you know, like I don't need to hear it constantly because, yeah, it is, it does help. It does bring awareness. But at the same time, does it, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it. I don't know it's like saying something but not actually like taking initiative on it like action on it like straight like it's just like saying it you know what I mean and I think the acknowledgement of country it kind of gets lost in some contexts like people just do it because they have to do it you know what I mean ticking a box yeah literally just it's like criteria sometimes but yeah it's kind of really hard to try find a way because yes it is respectful maybe having like an indigenous speaker on the panel but I guess it's kind of hard in music context because I think I'm the only Indigenous person in my cohort. I haven't I haven't found one yet and I've been there for like 11 weeks now. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw you played at the gala screening of the movie The Drogo's yeah. Wife, The Legends of Molly Johnson mm -hmm. by First Nations director Leah Purcell. For anyone listening, I highly recommend this movie. I know it's out in cinemas now in Australia and in the UK as well. And without giving too many spoilers, it's about a woman played by Leah Purcell herself. So impressive. Uh, living in rural Australia with her kids. And it's a glimpse of her life in late 19th century and the hardships that she goes through. It's, yeah, it's very, uh, it's a very moving movie. And so Sienna, uh, you played at the gala screening of this new movie a few weeks ago. And what yeah. is your connection to this movie and Leah Purcell? Obviously, it was at the Ramic Ritz. So I do a lot of gigs and performances for corporate events for Ramic City Council. That week, I actually did, I sang the anthem in language, in like the local language to Sydney at the Anzac Day ceremony that, that Monday. I think the screening was on a Thursday. Um, but yeah, so they just asked me to come sing along. It was very last minute, but I was like, yes. Because, um, like, I follow Leah, Leah Purcell. Like, I follow her on socials and stuff. And when I seen that she was doing, like, a gala event at the Ramwick Ritz, I was like, hmm. And then Ramwick City Council asked me to um, perform on the carpet. And that was cool. Did you watch the movie? Yeah, of course. I yeah. loved it. It was pretty good. Think? Yeah. She portrayed the character so well. And I actually um... didn't know that she produced it, directed it, and starred in it. <laughs> which is like how so impressive how <laughs> like I just have visions of her like acting a scene out and then like running behind like the camera watching it again and be like no, no yourself notes, yeah. um, <laughs> no it's so impressive so I listened to you singing of course you played Papa by Gurumu can yeah. you tell something about this song I kind of just listened to him like to go to bed like because his voice is just so soothing like it's so It's so mesmerizing and just so like it's so unique he actually talks about his late father and like going back to country and connecting with him and the country that he's from which was I think East Arnhem Land he was from the Anangu people and why did um, you choose uh, this particular song for this event it's a beautiful song in itself and it's just 
it's fitting. <laughs> it was just, okay. and I like performing it as well because it's, I feel like when I am performing it, everyone goes really silent and it's really like, it's kind of a moment. Like even like when I was playing, like obviously there was the street cause like the, the carpet was like right next to the road. And I felt like when I started singing, like all the cars kind of stopped. I don't know if it was just me because I was in the moment, but like I couldn't hear any of like the white noise from the road or like the streets surrounding. And I just connect with it. Like I just, you know, I deeply resonate with it. It's yeah. just a special song. It's a really special song. And like you said, so it's a song in uh, Yolnu Matha or like uh, the Yolnu language. Um, yeah, yeah. And Yolnu people live in the very far north of Australia. And I had a look at your, your YouTube channel. <laughs> and I've, <laughs> I've seen you covered the, the song. Oh, Narbor Pharaoh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is also the soundtrack of the movie The Sapphires. And it is a song in the Yorta Yorta language. Mm-hmm. Yorta Yorta people live in the southeast of Australia. Um, and then I also found a cover of uh, Frank Ocean's song, Self Control, in English. So you cover a lot of languages. Do you know a bit of your, your own native languages? Yes. Yeah, so, because I'm Yuan, is, it kind of extends from Wollongong all the way down to like the border of Victoria, New South Wales. The UN nation is just like, like you have Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have like suburbs like Chippendale, Zetland. <laughs> like, so that's kind of like UN is the Sydney. And then I'm from Wolbonja. So Wolbonja is my tribe. And we're kind of from Wollaga Lake, Naruma, Narama, actually, which means fresh, clear water. We're kind of from them areas. Like, traditionally my people we were nomadic so we didn't have a specific area we moved you know like we can't say that we're from a certain area because we moved that's my grandmother so my dad's mother and then my dad's father he's Gumbangi which is from uh Nambaka Coffs Harbour up north so like polar opposites basically but I have I have family all up and down the east coast of New South Wales like there probably isn't a town sort of like or city that there isn't a relative area <laughs> like, south of Sydney and yeah. the area north of Sydney yeah like oh, mid-north coast basically and do you use some of the words from your your languages yeah um yeah. well my great aunt so my dad's auntie I just call her auntie M she's an indigenous poet she has her own books. Um, her name's Arnie Emily Walker. She knows the language. She taught me kind of everything I know. But yeah, we use words that are like from them places in our vocab. Like I kind of just dabble between both of them. It's still it's still very much alive. Like they have, I think, a new Doraga dictionary came out, which is for is which is for Yuan, that came out pretty recently. Like it's hard. Because obviously colonization and the assimilation policies and stuff that like were enacted in Australia, specifically New South Wales, like it's kind of hard to know something like efficiently, especially like because of the stolen generations and stuff. Like it's it's very sad, it's upsetting and depressing. But yeah, a lot of language, a lot of culture and stuff was lost. That's why I'm very grateful to know where I'm from, whereas others like they they're not as close or they're not as connected to their communities and like that's just because of the stolen generations and just like the colonization but yeah I would say I'm I'm quite grateful that I know where I'm from and like have access to knowledge and access to language 
and cultural practices and stuff just through like family connections do you use it in daily life yeah like some words here and there like obviously not fully sentences but even just small phrases I just use here and there even with my like friends and stuff I use it with them as well but yeah as I said not full-on sentences as much as I would like to do it I could probably learn but just because so much of the language has been lost and stuff and obviously my auntie she lives in Nambaka it's like six hours away and obviously with uni working just life like I can't see her every other week you know what I mean and so what's it like for you to sing in another first nations language that is different to your own a lot of like for example Narabora Farah like literally the sapphires was like my holy grail for like a large portion of my life um (laughs) and I think a lot of young aboriginal girls can relate to that as well because I guess in a way we saw ourselves in the actors like Jess Malboy Miranda Tapson, Deborah Malman, we saw our aunties, our like our sisters, our mothers in them. So I guess it kind of like struck a chord, especially with like my cousins and stuff and like my like my Aboriginal friends. Like we all it was just like it resonated with us because obviously we could see ourselves in them and like you wouldn't come across a young like Aboriginal female that has not seen that movie. As I said, singing in a different language um, with Narabora Farah specifically, I kind of just learned it because I watched the movie like 10,000 times within a span of like five years. And I don't know, it's just like, it's actually not a, like a lullaby or like a pleasant song like you would think it is because it sounds like that, but it actually it's quite sinister. I, I don't know the exact translation, but it doesn't... <laughs> It's, I think it talks about like a battle or something. What strikes me during our talk now, we end up somehow talking a lot about movies. Are they important for you in your life? Yeah, definitely. I think because as a visual learner and stuff, movies and TV shows, they really do play a large role in my life. And I guess movies are really important to mob as well because something like black comedy, again, you wouldn't find an Indigenous person that has not seen black comedy. (laughs) Like, it's so funny. It's like good for representation, spreads awareness. I love movies. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. (laughs) I connected to you over Instagram and I saw you share mm-hmm. um, resources such as the Amnesty International Petition to Stop Black Bats in Custody, Petition yep. for a Treaty for Indigenous People in Australia. You share several, several links with information on Black Lives Matter. What sparked yep. you to engage with socio-political issues? Well, I was born into a family of activism. My nan's brother is... Um, Uncle Chica, Charles Dixon, and he um, he was good friends with Charles Perkins, who was from University of Sydney, and he was one of the leaders that led the Freedom Rides. Um, so yeah, my grandfather, not grandfather, my great uncle, <laughs> my uncle Chica Dixon, he um, was a major activist, major advocate for justice, Aboriginal right, human rights. The Freedom Rides happened in 1965. And it was actually inspired by the freedom rides that happened over in America with the um, African-American bomb over there. And basically in 1965, the SAFA, which is at the time was Student Action for Aborigines. Also, Aborigines is a slur, but that's what it was called at the time. (laughs) Times have changed now. 
basically SAFA was a bunch of students taking action for Indigenous peoples, especially in regional communities. So led by Charles Perkins, a bunch of them got on a bus and they toured regional New South Wales and protested and brought awareness to basically the living conditions and just like the poor living conditions of Aboriginal people in regional New South Wales. So they went to like Bogabilla, which is all kind of inland remote towns of New South Wales. And basically they just just went around protesting the living conditions, the inequalities and like education and conditions of living. (laughs) Like just, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, so that's, that's very related to your family now. So you were talking about your uncle. Yeah, so he he was an activist. Um, he also did work with the Black Panther movement over in America as well. So he's very power to the people, Black power. He was a big part of my activism. And I feel like in a way I have to protest and I have to advocate because like it runs, like it's in my blood basically, <laughs> literally. But yeah, even just like a lot of the people around me, like we're in unprecedented times, like everything's changing. And especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, like I guess that really set off my activism and stuff. Because obviously as a kid, you're not open to the world as much as you are. But yeah, just around those times, I started to really understand. Even before that, like I was, I always understood the inequalities between my people and non-Indigenous people. Like I was taught that from a pretty young age. My dad as well, he he didn't sugarcoat anything. Like he he's like the type of person to just be like show you like it is what it is. Like he'll tell you. But yeah, even a lot of people around me, like my cousins and stuff, like I guess we all kind of have a duty for our people to advocate for our rights just because of the terrible history and the terrible context, the traumatic events that like our people have had to persevere through. I feel like I have an obligation to, like, I'm very passionate about um, social justice. Do you mainly use social media to engage with these issues or are you involved in other ways as well, like protests, marches, fundraisers? Like, how does it take shape, your activism? Um, Mostly social media, where I get the most kind of outreach. I did engage in the BLM, the Black Lives Matter marches in 2020, and I, I just go to any fundraising events if I can. I go to the march on Invasion Day every year. In my, I guess, uni work and like my school work, I try to challenge ideas and stuff all the time within my works. Like for my year 12 major projects, I focused on the implications of Black Lives Matter in Australia. Um, That was for my Aboriginal Studies major project. And also for my Society and Culture major project, I looked at like the societal attitudes in an era where Black Lives Matter and I just looked at basically the community's reaction, non-Indigenous and Indigenous to um the uprising of the BLM movement both in America in and in Australia. What was the uh the sort of conclusion? I'm not sure if you can really give it a conclusion, but of of that work of yours. <laughs> well, if I could summarize both projects, we still have a lot more to do, like a lot. We've had we have come a long way, yes, but in my opinion, especially with Black Deaths in Custody, We've had over 500 deaths in custody and not one person has been accountable. Like there's no accountability. And I think that just further proves that there is still so much to do. 
But yeah, as I said, we have come a long way in terms of representation of Aboriginal people and communities and stuff, but there is still so much to do, like so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, what role do you think music has around First Nations activism? Well, music was a part of traditional life. Like there was like ceremony, even if it wasn't for aesthetic it was a part of ceremony it was part of everyday life it was part of education it was part of basically every aspect because obviously everything is connected within indigenous culture um so yeah I think music plays a large role in changing shaping representation of aboriginal peoples and just raising awareness like it's the best way I guess it's kind of like 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 advertising but not really it's just raising awareness and especially because there's so many black artists coming onto the scene now like we have Becca Hatch she's from Sydney we have Barker Philly the Aboriginal like we have so many black artists coming onto the scene and I think it's just inspiring for me as well because they're they're black and they're like they're becoming mainstream and they're just putting a voice out for us and for mob I guess and it's just really inspiring to see them you know doing what they're doing and especially Barker she raps and she produces content about her own experiences as a black woman as a mother and I think that's just so inspiring to me because like I want to be there one day like and she's like changing they're all, all the black artists on the scene now they're changing the way music was ever thought of you know what I mean like they're coming from like transgenerational trauma they're like uplifting they're empowering like black youth you know what I mean and I think that is the key to like fixing the divide and closing the gap through music what would be your number one wish in terms of social change (laughs) (laughs) yeah as I said there's so much more we need to do but I think it's just wow that's a hard question actually (laughs) I guess just inspiring people for change because change doesn't happen with one person I think just inspiring youth or like future generations to make changes because especially like children, I think it's really important to um, educate children and stuff because they are the ones, they're the future. So they, they have the power to change. I guess I have the power to, you know, my generation has the power to change, but I guess just continuing with my activism and try to connect and reach to others. And I guess together, we can it's, it's cliche <laughs> so cliche but I guess collectively we all can like strive to raise awareness of black issues and representation and hopefully you know drive for change and I guess stop deaths in custody and like maybe I think my one you know what okay here we go <laughs> the one <laughs> the one wish that I have for change is probably for people to understand or at least sympathize have cultural awareness because I think if people can understand then the world will be a much happier place that's a very beautiful way to end thank you for having me actually it was great in terms of self-promotion watch this space big things coming (laughs) yeah so if there are people out there who'd like to follow you how can they do that um so you can follow me on instagram it's just sienna walker c-i-a double n-a walker um also my youtube channel it's the same everything's linked i have a link tree in my bio so you can just check that out (laughs) awesome thank you so much thank you 
And now let's listen to Sienna's cover of Nara Burafera. Umraka Moses Yenyen Walla Walla Yapunia Puj Marabura Fera Yumanaya Thanks for listening to Movements and Sounds. This is a not-for-profit podcast. However, thanks to the SOAS Student Enterprise Fund, for every episode a donation will be made to SeedMob, an indigenous-led organization in Australia fighting for climate justice. Find out more about this incredible organization on seedmob.org.au. See you at the next episode.